Welcome, everyone, to the Towards Wholeness podcast, where we're offering you a chance to take steps toward wholeness in spirit and in soul and in body. I'm your host, Richard Dahlstrom. And I'm your host, Abby Odio. And we're here together with a very special guest today, Kindy Easley. Kindy is a Design Your Life coach. She's been various forms of pastor uh, for the past several decades, pastor of children, youth, and families, pastor of care ministries, and uh, presently executive pastor at the church that I lead, uh, Bethany Community Church. She's also a wife. She's a mother of two young adults. She loves the outdoors. She just bought three chickens. Uh, She's the Renaissance woman in so, so many ways. And actually, just a perfect person for our theme today, which is finding the life you're made to live. And I know that many people who listen to this podcast are wondering, why am I on this earth? I want to find a life of meaning. I want to find the purpose for which I'm created. And so thank you so much, Kindy, for being with us today. I will echo what Richard has said. I've been looking forward to this podcast. Uh, Kindy is my boss, but she is also someone I just have such tremendous respect for, largely because she is such a competent, gifted, compassionate, visionary leader. And yet she's found a way to do that and be an incredible parent and be, you know, she has she has hobbies and pursuits outside of work. And certainly family's one of those. And I feel like She's a female who's a bit farther down the line in terms of her own calling, and I just look up to her as an example. Um, Somehow, Kendi, you have found a way to make all these kind of identity pieces fit together and in a way that honors who God made you to be. So we're just so excited to be able to chat with you today. I just want to start by asking the question really kind of of your own personal trajectory towards the role that you're in now, the story of how you came to discover the life for which you were created. And I'm sure that has many different twists and turns and seasons. But if you could kind of give listeners and and Richard and I an overview, we would love to hear a bit of your story. Thanks so much, Richard and Abby. It's always hard to know where to start in telling one's life story when there's a lot of decades to go over. So I'm the oldest daughter of a gorgeous, olive-skinned Armenian woman and a bright, red-headed man who became an attorney. So I think I had a sort of a drive as a child. And leading into my career at UCLA as a, a sorority president, a student body officer, I certainly saw that God had given me gifts of leadership. But what to do with those in my life became really a crisis point for me my senior year of college. And I ended up in a speech class, you know, one of those uh, general ed requirements that you have to take in order to graduate. And a question was posed after you did your how-to speeches to talk about something that's really important to you. And as I pondered and pondered that, I realized that for me, it was Jesus. And to stand up to a group of my peers and being a Christian was not a popular thing at UCLA at the time. And to really declare that my faith was super important to me was my first deep awareness of a sense that that was what mattered most to me. And I, at that time, had no idea that that would lead to some kind of vocational ministry. In fact, I'd never seen a female pastor. So I think that would be one of my first words of advice in discerning your calling is really what matters to you. Can you get a hold of kind of what's essential? If everything else were stripped away, you know, where do you start? 
And for me, that was a piece of this faith journey. Abby, did you also have a similar path in university days that pointed you toward vocational ministry? You know, I think for me, it was a little more take a step. Okay, what's the next step? We're here now. <laughs> I, I started uh, volunteering with Young Life in the Tacoma area in Washington. And I think for me, that was my first time I found myself in a situation where, similar to Kendi, I was talking about something, namely the, the story of the gospel, you know, to these 16, 17, 18-year-old students. And it felt like wow, this really matters. Like, I really care about this. I really care that the concept of grace in particular and, and just unconditional love be something that they they get and they want and they receive. And, and so in that way, it was similar that I kind of stumbled across like, wow, this is an essential piece of who God made me to be. Yeah, that's good. Kimby, uh, back to you. One of my questions would be, when I look at your career trajectory, pastor of children, youth, and family, then a care ministry, and then your present role, and previous to this, also another role as executive pastor in a large church. That's within itself a kind of a refining of a larger calling. It's like, oh, I know I'm called into some kind of ministry to help point people toward Jesus, but now it's very specific in a sense. Tell us about that trajectory as well. Right. So, I guess we take a couple of leaps forward. And I, I think one of the leaps that I'd want to bring out is I didn't go straight toward pastoral ministry. I had that insight that Christ was really essential to who I am. Uh, but I ended up in a job for a large management consulting firm as a recruiter. I was a psych major in my undergrad. And actually, I think this is one of the things that happens in life is I had um, sort of an interruption. My, my mom called me and I had a sister six years younger. And my mom said, hey, come home after college and we need you here. I, I need help raising my sister, uh, So uh, your sister. So I took that step and that led me to this moment as a recruiter for this management consulting firm when one of the young men that we were recruiting took me aside and asked me if you were my wife, which he was married and I wasn't, I felt a little awkward, but if you were my wife, would you want me to take this job? And I realized that I had this ethical dilemma in that I wanted to shout out, no, I absolutely would not want you to take this job. But my role in that position was to say, 100%, this is a great job. You have a great opportunity in front of you. So I think one of the things that happened for me, Richard, is I had a turning point right then. Is this what I want to do with my life? And I think that's happened to me on a number of occasions. When I was a care pastor, like fast forward to graduating seminary and marrying my husband, who's also a pastor and landing in the greater Seattle area. I ended up in this care pastor role, which I loved. And then I became a mom and having two small kids and essentially serving two different churches. There was a moment when my daughter was about four and she said, are we going to go to mommy's church today or daddy's church? And I thought, wow, we didn't mean Mm -hmm. to land here. So those were two moments where it's like the circumstance confronted me to say, is this who you want to be in this moment? Wow. 
Kendi, I love that. And I think that's one of the things as you're talking about it, I realize that you've been so formative just in kind of journeying with me in my own story is this really spiritual discipline, I would call it, of listening to your life. I think it's Parker Palmer who talks about that. But the little things are the big things. And I think there's a way in which you are attuned to those, I don't know if they're signposts, but just moments like kind of intervention moments where our circumstances, they do matter. And I, I think the discipline comes in pausing long enough to be curious about them. You know, your son or daughter asking that question about mommy or daddy's church, what's in that? <laughs> Let's have a conversation with God about what that might be stirring in me and my family and my children. And so important as we pursue this thing called calling. The, the other thing that I love about your story, Kimby, is you have a passion to help everyone in your care be aligned in their life with their gifts. In other words, you want them to be using the unique endowments that God has given each person, mm. knowing that we're all wired differently. And you and I have had many conversations about this subject. How do we help people who are in our care on the staff of the church that we lead find this alignment? I know in my own life, a big piece of my alignment came from people outside of me affirming a gift that I didn't, I was too insecure to think I had. I, I sp- remember speaking in seminary in a preaching class, and then the, the professor taking me aside and saying, Richard, this is a gift you have, it's unique. And I want you to fan it into flame. When I watch the Mr. Rogers movie and you spend 60 seconds thinking about people who shaped your life, that professor is one of those guys. So my question to you, Kendi, is how do you help people discover their gifts? And how has that worked for you? I appreciate the question, Richard. And I, I think both of you have just brought out that there's really moments, maybe you call them transforming moments, where something is spoken, whether it's a truth or whether it's a question, it feels like a confrontation, maybe uh, you, you understand your strength or your weakness in a new way. And I think those intersections, you know, absolutely are an important part of the pathway. So Richard, when that person took you aside and said, I see this in you. I think that's very common. I had an experience like that as well. I'd been on a mission trip and one of the moms on the mission trip with the high school students took me aside and said, have you ever thought about doing this for a living? And I said, what? <laughs> and she said, well, you know, leading youth, being a youth pastor. And, and I really never had. There was a moment in my daughter's life where she was invited by a college guidance counselor to think about a time that she was able to help someone, that she she made a difference in someone else's life. And that really led to her selecting speech language pathology for her career. So I think asking questions of your own life is a really good place to start. You know, you uh, mentioned Mr. Rogers, like the 60 second reflection on who's made a difference in your life. And that can either be someone who gave you a great affirmation, or maybe it's a moment where you realize your own weakness. You know, our weaknesses are what we don't enjoy in life can also be very important in determining our vocation. So there could be a person who's interested in the medical field, but they really don't like to encounter people. Well, they might end up as a medical researcher. Uh, This is the type of thing that the Designing Your Life book by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans is super helpful. And, And this idea of going through a workshop or gaining some coaching 
to discern, yes, it's strengths and weaknesses, but it's also like what brings you delight? Is it thinking about the big picture or is it working with people individually? Do you like to work in an environment with a lot of change and variables or do you like to work in a context where things just are predictable and you're able to kind of manage things forward and be continually improving? So I think there's so many angles. There's this spiritual gifts angle. You know, what do I think I'm good at? And then I think calling really invites us to consider what is what do other people see in me and what are they calling forward from me? Abby, I know you and I have have talked a little bit about the challenge of different voices mm. that people hear about calling. One of the things that I know your generation hears or heard pretty regularly was follow your passion. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you could just kind of give us some thoughts on, is that adequate? Or And, and you could take that and toss it to Kindy, but, but I, wonder, I wonder what your thought is of that mantra. Sure. You know, I think there's, I think of that Mary Oliver poem, you know, what will you do with your one wild and precious life that I think was the mantra of our graduating class. And I think there is some encouragement in it that is helpful and positive. This idea that our passions can lead us and there's a God that uses them to build his kingdom. I think that's a very, I have found for myself, it's true that I am most effective when I care and am energized by a task. But I, it's funny, I'll never forget this conversation in college I had with my grandmother who just turned 94 this week. I was deciding my major and just feeling very torn about that. And here's a woman who lived through a world war, a depression, you know, who whose husband left her with five children when those children were all under the age of 18. And she ran a farm by herself and worked night shift at the railroad. And so this idea of passion is kind of a mute point for her and her life, because she's just, she's had to work, you know, she's just had to wake up and, and serve and love her family by sacrifice. And I think there's wisdom in that narrative as well that we can learn from. There's a humility in that that's really important that, yes, God can use our passion. And sometimes that will mean waking up and loving our job. And sometimes that will mean seasons where circumstances call us to pay the bills. <laughs> and, and that's our expression of love for our children and our, or however that may look. So I think there's a, a really good tension there. If we if we simply say it's all about passion, I think we'll miss something. But I, I think too, there's a freedom and a joy that we miss if we say, well, it's all about just working hard. Well, Abby, I think you bring out something really important that it's actually a very modern, very recent concept that our vocation is to fulfill kind of the meaning of our life. And I would say that somewhat Mm. tragically, there's been a loss of a sense of meaning beyond our work. So work has taken this central focus. And, you know, for many decades, for my grandma as well, she was very proud. She grew up, she's Armenian. And my mom grew up in a home that didn't, was not English speaking. They only spoke Armenian. For my grandmother to get her certificate as a secretary, uh, she was so proud of it. And we found it recently. It's about two feet by three feet large. 
She became a secretary and she got this diploma that's just unbelievably large. And she was not only proud of that diploma, but she was proud of the money that she was going to make as a secretary, that she was going to be able to support her family. Now, was it her life dream to be a secretary? Absolutely not. Her life dream was in cooking these amazing family meals and gathering people together in the neighborhood and learning English and crocheting and making homemade clothes and being able to buy the the wicker baby buggy that was in the window for her her second child. So I think this this idea that our vocation is to kind of fulfill all our hopes can be a dangerous one. And I think it's also what leads us into this dynamic around work-life balance or just work and life. How do those two mix together? So the question of, are you called into your vocation to bring you a joy and a sense of meaning and purpose? Like, this is who I am. God designed me for this moment. You know, absolutely. You know, we want that for people, but our life is actually more than our vocation. So oftentimes I think we find ourselves in a situation where a job opportunity finds us and it is the next logical thing. I have a friend who's 92 who said, I never planned my life. I just sort of bounced off a rock. Uh, When her father died suddenly, she found herself managing and owning a jewelry company. She knew nothing. When her husband died suddenly, she found herself managing a steel company. And she knew nothing going into those. So she came out, you know, quite an accomplished woman. But her experience was that these job opportunities found her. She didn't go looking for them. So she found a way to thrive in them, certainly to make a, a really good living with the opportunities that were presented to her. I, you know, this is such a great conversation. I have two other big themes that I'd love to see addressed. One is risk and the other is ambition. And with respect to risk, when I look at your story, Kendi, you moved from children, youth, and family to care to executive pastor. And it feels to me from the outside looking in, that's a much bigger risk than my career trajectory has been. Because though I've changed contexts, I've always essentially used the same set of gifts and I've just changed you know, location or the size of the church or, or whatever. You, on the other hand, have moved and had to say goodbye to some significant roles by changing jobs. Talk about the risk inherent in that. Great, Richard, thanks for the question. And I, I would just have to say the biggest risk of all was the one that I mentioned when my my kids seemed to need me at home and to take a step away from what felt to me like a work that I loved to find myself at home with an 18-month-old and a, a four-and-a-half-year-old was a huge shift. And I felt like God sort of pried my fingers off my maybe ambition, off my hopes for who I might become, and essentially sort of sent me home. And for wow. six years, I was an at-home mom. And that felt to me like I was letting go of what the future might hold for me in my vocation or my calling or in my career. So I think there's a humility in the circumstances of life. That certainly happened to me again. After I had become an executive pastor, I faced stage four cancer. And that's another reckoning when you have to look inside and say, who am I now and what really matters to me? And should I try to keep working or not? 
So the risk for me of going from who I thought I was to receiving what seemed like the opportunities that God was giving me has grown the, my trust um, that that life kind of unfolds, that there's a tapestry to it. It ended up that God took my experience as a care pastor and then my six years at home in which I did lead a women's Bible study that we created. There was a team of us. It it didn't exist. And then suddenly there were 20 uh, women in leadership and 200 women coming every week. It was like a little small church that we created as volunteer church ladies. And God took both of those experiences and wove them together uh, to me to receive this calling as an executive pastor. Well, Abby, I'm sure that what Kendi has just shared regarding risk and motherhood must resonate with you as well. Absolutely. I'm sitting here smiling, thinking, does this mean I need to to take some time with my kids? Which, in a way, I feel so grateful for Kendi's experience because as I've, we just had our second kid who's now four months old and we have a two and a half year old. And when my second was born in conversation with Kendi, I made the the choice to cut back to 25 hours a week. Whereas before I'd been working full time at the church where we all serve. And that certainly felt, I've shared some of that sentiment uh, that you shared Kendi of, am I missing a window of opportunity here? to really lean into a career that I love, that I I feel equipped for, that I feel like God's growing me in right now. It feels like kind of these are the essential years, you know, and yeah, I absolutely resonate with that. Step back and trust that there's a bigger story being told that, you know, recently God's put it on my heart that my children are my neighbor that I'm called to love right now. And if I can (laughs) just view it that way, it feels less like kind of this default option and more like this really noble, exciting thing that I'm being invited into and that God is certainly shaping me through. I'm grateful for you and that I think as we've talked about that, you've offered some creative solutions to what I saw as there's two ways forward. I either stay working and there'll be repercussions in my family life or I quit work altogether. And I think probably because of your experience, you said, hey, let's think creatively about this. Let's talk about how we might piece together something that that works for you in this season. And it's been so fun for me to realize that there's ways of making the puzzle pieces fit that maybe don't align with traditional wisdom, but can be really life-giving. Yeah, I just really appreciate your saying that, Abby, both about the relationship that we've had. And I think, Richard, coming back to your question, as far as understanding one's gifts and then the opportunities kind of that come your way, and do you stay the course or do you take a different turn? I remember when I was uh, at first considering whether or not to become an executive pastor that one of my mentors said to me, you know, you'd be taking yourself out of the speaking circuit. You're no longer going to be seen as a speaking pastor you're going to be seen as an administrative pastor. And that was a bit of a hard pill to swallow. But I think because of the relationship that I had with the person that I was looking forward to working with, it made sense to me that, again, that there was something about taking the curve rather than the straight angle, that God had invited me to take a more humble place and not declare for myself, this is who I am but kind of receive the invitation as to there's a need here. And I think I fit that need. Um, There's a tradition in the Quaker church to create something called a clearing house. And Abby, you referred to Parker Palmer. He has a book called Let Your Life Speak, in which he shares his own journey 
in trying to make a decision, I think of becoming a president of a school or some such. And he gathered together one of these Quaker clearinghouse committees where they just ask you questions. And no one says you ought to do this or you ought to do that, but they invite you into your own way of thinking. And so I think, Richard, that's an important part of this discernment as to whether or not to lean into one side of oneself or the other side. And God has provided many opportunities for me to end up in a role of teaching. But primarily as executive pastor, I lean into my gifts of leadership and not just ability, but the fit that it is for me to be part of a team. Well, and I can only affirm that gift at about 150% because I am one of the many recipients of your giftedness in the sense that the team that is the church that the three of us are involved in serving is functioning so well because of your tireless work that isn't just leading, but is shepherding. And so we sell, Abby, and I know I could speak for Abby here, we celebrate that you not only found your gifts and your calling, but that the context in which you're using those gifts is the church in which we find ourselves. So I want to thank you for that. Last quick question to both of you, really. Just a, a sense or a paragraph on what role ambition plays. This has, for me, been a big question all throughout my career. I tell people God tricked me into becoming a pastor. My gift is speaking, but uh, the context in which that has flourished wasn't a context I was seeking, and it kind of came after me in a sense. And when I moved to Seattle to pastor a church of what was then 300 people, I was terrified because it was so large, and it's now like 3,500 people. So ambition hasn't driven me. I wonder your both of your thoughts on the role of ambition in finding one's calling. Yeah, that's a great question, Richard. I wouldn't consider that word to be something that motivates me or, <laughs> you know, I spent 10 years, my first kind of church work, pastoral work was at the same church. And I feel like I sort of grew up there. I started as an intern. And when I left, I was part of the pastoral leadership team. And so I was able to sort of just kind of take the opportunities that fell into my lap. And there's a certain privilege that I just want to name in that. I realized that for a lot of folks, things don't just fall into your lap oftentimes. And that, that's another podcast, but I, I just want to name that. But for me, that was, that was my experience. I think one of the interesting things I'm learning now is as I find my voice, being okay with that word almost, like being okay saying, hey, here are the things that I'm good at. And here's felt prompted to do more writing lately. And that feels very intimidating for me because it is vulnerable and it, it requires that we put ourselves out there in a particular way and we put ourselves out there for others in a particular way to, to accept or reject. And my insecurity looms strong. But I think there's a way in which God is saying, let's try some new things. Let's try leaning into this. And, and that's not a guarantee of success. That invitation isn't. And I think that's a really important distinction that I'm learning but that God will shape us in our failures as much as he will shape us, probably more than he will shape us in our successes. And so to be ambitious, to take risks, to take a step out there is really an opportunity for faith to take deeper root is what I'm finding. So That's great. Thanks. Uh, Kendi, what are your thoughts on the role of ambition in finding one's calling? I guess I would want to defend ambition, that there really is a godly ambition. I think of Jesus himself saying, greater things than these will you do. Like, how could God himself 
look at his followers and say, you're going to do greater things than I did. It's, it's just pretty amazing to me. And I, I do think, you know, you look at the early church and I think they had a hope for people, like they had an authentic desire that the world would be transformed, that all things would be made new. So there's almost a way that I think we can stand in God's way. I I think of Moses saying, who, me? Like, I can't do this. I can't talk. I stutter. I have a problem. So I also think- a hero. That's why I love that guy. (laughs) But there's a, you know, neither think too much nor too little of yourself. And so if God's put you in a position position of authority or a position of creativity. You know, what if uh, Van Gogh were to say, like, I don't want this gift, you know, take it from me instead of just using the gift that was given. So I think sometimes there's a, a gift of leadership or communication or a way of thinking, a way of, of gathering people together, like a team leader or a coach, you know, you want your whole team to do their best, to be their best. But I do think there can be a false motivation. There's a quote of a poem that I really like. It says, "Um, now I become myself. It's taken time, many years, many places. I've been dissolved and shaken. I've worn other people's faces. And I think that's the line I would just would bring out, other people's faces. If your ambition is like to put on a face in order to accomplish something, uh, to impress it's not authentically coming from your identity that God's shaping in you, then I I don't really think that's a godly ambition. I think that's a false self or a false ambition. So I think my final word on that would be draw near to God, draw near to who God's designing you to be and whether the circumstances are calling, you know, just for your hard labor to love your family in that way, or whether they're calling for you to release from kind of what binds you to be fully the person that God is inviting you to be. You know, don't put on someone else's face. Be the person that God's calling you to be in this season in your life. I grew up hearing this word, you know, as a woman, you can be anything, you can do anything. And that voice rings loud in me, but I also know I can't be everything and be everything. And I certainly can't do it all at the same time. Just holding that ambition as an offering to God. Kendi, that's profound. And on behalf of Richard and I both just say thanks for taking the time to be with us today. As you're talking, I'm sitting here smiling because it's so fun to know you so well and to hear you talk because you absolutely live into this stuff faithfully. And I I appreciate that. And I know that if you are a person who's listening today and you are curious about this question of calling or you're at a crossroads in your life, we would all three recommend this book, Designing Your Life. Kendi mentioned that she is a Design Your Life coach. It is not a necessarily a faith-based book, but certainly take some principles that align with the story of faith and infuse them into just a super helpful resource for decision-making and finding your calling in that next step. So that's a good text that we would recommend. We also mentioned the Parker Palmer, Listen to Your Life. Is that the name of it, Kendi? I can't remember. I feel like I'm calling it the wrong thing. Let Your Life Speak. Let Your Life Speak. For the voice of vocation. Absolutely. And, you know, Mark Laberton's book, I think, on calling or vocation is another great resource. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your wisdom. Thanks for leading us so well and our community so well. We are grateful for you um, for, for this time and beyond. So, um, listeners, thanks for joining us for this episode of Towards Wholeness. We look forward to being with you again soon. <laughs>